trust in you, Jesus. We lean on you today.
this. God, we trust in you today. We lean into you, your love, your goodness, and your kindness. Thank you that you are a father that we can trust, that we can depend on. God, we just rest in that right now. anyone facing turmoil in their lives right now or uncertainty God we thank you for your peace let your peace just fall in this room God thank you Jesus for who you are for us to win battles and a loving father that whispers in our ear and a father that rejoices over us with singing and gladness God help us to receive that today to understand that kind of love this in your name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Sunrise. Uh, my name is Carissa and I'm a partner here and it's just good to be together. And um, just as Dan was praying, like being reminded of the peace and the rest that we have in God. Um, maybe because we're married and we both have kids that are in high school and elementary and life gets really busy. Maybe that's why we're on that same wavelength. But it's good to be together and just be able to rest um, in the goodness of God and uh, worship together. Um, if you are visiting for the first time this morning, we want to just extend a special um, welcome and a good morning. Um, if you're visiting online for the first time as well, and we're just glad that you have chosen to come and check things out and see what we're all about and join us this morning. Um, there are ways that you can find out more information, um, both in person and online. Um, we do have both the church, the Sunrise website and the Sunrise app, um, which is handy. You get those little reminders Sunday morning morning and throughout the week, um, but you can, yes, good, it is there. Scan the QR code and it'll take you there or online. If you look for that link in the comments, you can find all sorts of more information. And also, if you just answer a few quick questions, then we would love to get to know you better and send you a gift later on. And if you're here in person, you can stop by the Connect table in the lobby and someone will be there to answer any questions that you may have and just get to know you a little bit better. Um, last week, we had our big fall kickoff and the sanctuary looked a little bit different. We had the tables all up front kind of highlighting our different ministries, ways you can be get connected and ways you can serve. And those have been 
compressed into the back. So if you missed out on that last week um, or there was just something that you didn't grab information for, feel free to check that out either during the greeting time in just a moment or after the service. But especially, um, you heard Dan mention last week that with this fall kickoff, we're also sort of starting up small groups. Most small groups took the summer off. And with this new sermon series especially, we would love to see everybody get connected in a small group. Um, it's a great way not only to meet people, but also to dive deeper into what we're going to be learning um, on Sunday mornings and just have a great experience. I know Dan and I have been in small groups for a few decades now, and you know the people have changed, but it's always been a really meaningful thing in our lives. So there's information back there. There's also information on the website if you prefer to do it that way. Uh, also, just to mark your calendar, um, on October 22, we are going to be celebrating our big anniversary here at Sunrise. So 20th anniversary celebration. I feel like that deserves some applause. Woo! So just stay tuned. We'll have more information about that, but it's going to be a really great morning just to celebrate what God has done um, through the people in this community and look back and reflect and look forward. And um, I know I'm looking forward to it. So mark that on your calendar and come join us if you can. In just a moment, we're going to have a few things going on. Um, we are going to take some time for greeting, or you can, like I said, check out the papers in the back, get some coffee from the lobby. Also, we will be dismissing kids for Sunrise Kids, and they'll be able to go through the back doors and actually follow me, because I'm going to head their back head back there with you. Um, but this is also a great time. We just want to remind you uh, that we can be giving to Sunrise, and um, you may give through the box in the back there or give online, but we just want to continue to um, say thank you to God in that way too and see um, how he uses those gifts in the lives of the people around us. So take a moment and let's move forward. All right. Good morning, Sunrise. If you could find your way back to your seats, that would be great. Today we're going to enter into week two of our series on prayer, looking at the real Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. And today we're moving on to the second movement in this prayer. In the first movement we saw uh, last week that Jesus prayed for uh, himself. And we're going to see that this, this prayer is actually broken down into three movements where Jesus prays for himself, uh, then he prays for his disciples, and then uh, he prays, believe it or not, for us, the people that are in this room. Um, and subsequently, with every step in, in this journey and in this prayer, it becomes a little more easy to, to kind of apply what Jesus is praying to our everyday lives. As we looked last week, right, it's, it, it's kind of hard and it feels kind of, feels kind of weird, to be honest with you, for, for us to look and say, well, Jesus prayed for himself and so therefore I can apply what Jesus prayed for himself to me because, well, I'm not Jesus, but Jesus prayed for a few things that I think we can learn from. He prayed that the Father would bring, would bring himself glory. He, he prayed, Father, give me the strength to walk the path that you've set before me. Jesus prayed, Father, help me to accomplish the things that you've sent me to do. And finally, Father, I know that following you will bring me closer to your presence. And in those things, while Jesus had a particular work that he was doing, that he was fully God, fully man, the Messiah, promised one of old, and none of us are that. 
there's still meaning in these first five verses for us. Well, I guess maybe for me, it challenged me the, that I ought to live a life that was more conformed to worship. It challenged me to live a life that there's more bent on obedience. It challenged me to live a, a life of purpose. And it challenged me to live a life of hope. This week, as we, we investigate these next several verses, there's, there's actually a couple movements within this, but they're all surrounding the fact that Jesus was praying for his disciples. Jesus prayed for his disciples, those that were with him, the, the ones that he had called to follow him, the ones that he had trained, the ones that, that he would subsequently give the Great Commission to go and to teach others everything that he had taught them. And as Jesus taught his disciples in this passage, he, well, he, he says these words. He says, I have revealed you, he's talking to the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. As we begin verse 6, we see that Jesus tells his disciples, I have re, uh, tells God about his disciples that I have revealed you literally in the Greek here. This doesn't mean just he's revealed him. It, 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 it should probably be better translated, I've told them your name. Names are powerful, aren't they? Especially when, when the name has meaning, when it communicates something about who we are, family names that are, that are passed down to, to folks or, or names that, that, that specifically uh, carry uh, or reveal something about the character of who a person is. Literally, Jesus begins by telling them, listen, I have revealed your name to them. I've told them who you are. And the people that he's told the name to are those, to, uh, those whom you gave me out of the world. Now, this is curious to me because all of the disciples that Jesus is praying for and talking about here. They're Jewish folk. They're children of Abraham, sons and daughters of the covenant. But they had lost their way. You see, just because they were genetically descended from the ones who received the covenant, it did not forestall the drift that had taken place from the kingdom to the empire. You see, they... They knew who Jesus was. They heard the story. They lived it. They were genetically and historically connected to the promises that God had made to Abraham. But the problem was, as we saw just a couple of, of weeks ago, that, that they knew Jesus was the Messiah, but they really didn't know who Messiah was or was supposed to be. Oh, they were still faithful to the religious practices. They still did the stuff and they still believed the right things. But somehow over the years and over the centuries, these good Jewish boys, these good Jewish girls, they had lost sight of the kingdom and they had sworn allegiance to the empire. They were yours, Jesus says, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. I actually chuckled a little bit when I read this this week as I was putting together this message, and I thought, they have obeyed your word. He probably should have said, not perfectly, right? Because at this point, Peter's still going to deny that he knows Jesus. Right? He's still going to cuss out a little servant girl around a charcoal fire and run off into the night. 
All these guys are going to abandon him, all but John and a few of the, the ladies. Thomas is still going to stand resolute in his doubt, even as his best friends stand around and tell him that Jesus has risen from the dead. And honestly, I don't kind of blame Thomas because, right, I mean, the reality is most of the time, well, almost all the time, well, except for just these very few times when somebody dies, they're dead. But it wasn't until he saw him, it wasn't until Jesus invited him to touch his hands, to put his hand in his side. But even after the resurrection, just before Jesus delivers the famous admonition that we know as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right, where go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, that Great Commission, just before Jesus speaks those words, Matthew records this. It says, when they, the disciples, saw him, Jesus shows up on the mountainside where they were. This is after the resurrection. This is after uh, Peter has been restored. This is after Thomas has seen Jesus. This is after Jesus has met Mary in the garden. This is after all of those things, the appearances in the upper room. After all of that, they stand on the mountain in front of the risen Christ, and it says they worshiped him but some doubt it. Even after all of that, even after all that they had seen and all that they had experienced, their certainty was not perfect. But it was enough. Their faith was enough because Jesus prayed for them, prayed over them those words. You see, I'm reminded in this moment, and it encourages me, I don't know about you, but that Jesus isn't looking for perfection so much as he's looking for persistence in the right direction. Now they know that everything you gave me, Jesus continues his prayer, comes from you. For I gave them your words. The Greek word here is rhema. This is going to be important here in just a second. It's talking about... The units of speech, the actual words that Jesus is saying, not the overall message or, or the content of the message, right? They've heard the things that I'm saying. They've listened to me. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They, and they knew with certainty, maybe a caveat, at least as much certainty as they were capable of, that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. My friends, Jesus, Jesus prayed for his disciples, but he prayed some specific things. He, he prays for his disciples that they would know who they are. It's not just that he prays for them to the Father, but he prays that they would know who that they are. I pray for them specifically, and I am not praying for the world Right? Jesus at this point isn't so much concerned with other people's kids. Right? My neighborhood would be a whole lot better if I would take other people's kids in hand, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? Right? Crazy Pastor Dennis running around the neighborhood there on Englehurst Drive spanking other people's kids. What in the world? 
<laughs> yeah, Ben's like, no, no, don't do that. But Noah right behind him was like, maybe. I mean, you know, it's not that, right? not that I favor corporal punishment, but you know. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me. Did you catch that, right? That they've been given. For they were yours. And all I have is yours. All you have is mine. The unity of the Trinity here. And glory has come to me through them. See, their obedience has brought me glory, which ultimately glorifies you. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, Jesus says. How about I throw this up there so you guys can follow along too. But they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them protect them by the power of your name you see that i've given them your name they know your name protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one yesterday amy and i got to watch a, a cross-country meet from somewhere in central West Virginia, my, my youngest nephew, my brother's youngest boy, um, is, is, a, is, a, is a runner, and he's actually uh, really doing pretty well this year, and he came in second in this meet, and it was so fun. The, the, the folks that were commentating, they were two big football dads from a place called Braxton County, West Virginia, uh, which means you go to nowhere, and then you turn left until you come to a bear that looked like a rock, and then you turn right. Like, that's where Braxton County is. And... Um, Right, and so they got a drone that's following along, and we're watching this, and Amy's yelling at the television, and I'm like, he can't hear you, and she's shushing me, and <laughs> we're so excited, and they, they come around the corner, and, and there's, a, there's a, him and a, a kid from one of the big AAA schools in, in Charleston are, are, are right neck and neck, and they, they come in, and he, um, he, just did a, he just did a great job. And, and Levi happens to be adopted, and so he is... Uh, my nephew, but he's also Ethiopian. Um, and I sat there and I watched and I listened as they inter interviewed him. And I saw the name on the bottom. And I'm so thankful that God, that God realized that he was a part of our family. Even when he was being knit in his mother's womb, even when he was was left on that street corner in Otis, even when that police officer found him and took him to the, to the orphanage, even when they took him to the transition home to the time that they, they handed him to my brother and, and my sister all those years ago, I looked and I'm like, that's, that's my boy and that's my people. You see, he doesn't look like the rest of us, but the name is just as much his as it is mine. See, the reality is, folks, is that even when we don't look like Jesus, the name, the name is every much as bit ours as it was his. Because God has given us to him. And he has given us to the Father. Verse 12, while I was with them, Jesus said, boy, what, th think about this. Boy, the prayer of an older brother I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. 
right? That, there's that name again. There's that identity. There's that familial connection. And none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Being a part of God's family isn't about earning your place around the table. It's about being given the honor of the name. Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays that, that they would find joy in the midst of their troubles. He, he continues on here, um, beginning in verse 13. And, and, and there's a connection here back to the end of chapter 16 that I don't want us to miss. He says in verse 13, though, he, he, uh, he makes this statement. I am coming, he's talking to God, I'm coming to you now. I mean, he's going to where God is. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. You see, we really can't understand what Jesus is praying until we, we backtrack a little bit. And, 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 and the verse that's just before the verse that we, we looked at beginning, uh, just before Jesus started his prayer, the verse that we looked at last week, where Jesus begins to pray for himself, the last thing he says to his disciples before he turns the conversation upward toward God is he says this, is that in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> great thanks Jesus right you're going to betray me you're going to run off I'm not going to be the person you think I'm going to be I'm not going to overthrow Rome I'm going to die at the hand of Rome but take courage he has just upended the world of all of these men that sit around him and the last thing that he tells them before he starts to pray is that they will have trouble. But in the midst of those terrible circumstances, he tells them to be courageous. Why? Because of what he has done. Because of what he's about to do. You'll have trouble. He, he tells us this, but, but he does so. And, and as he's praying, I wonder what they were thinking in this moment. As they hear him, they overhear him praying for them. Praying that they would have the full measure of the joy within them. And folks, I, I wonder if in that moment, and I doubt that they did because we often do connect these things in times of trouble. But that hope and joy are intimately connected. You see, confession time for me, joy is, is often very connected to my circumstances, right? When I see that Moles boy come around the corner in second place, oh, I'm excited. When he falls and doesn't finish, I'm not excited. When the Mountaineers beat Pitt, at Mountaineer Field and win the backyard brawl for the first time in Milan Pulsar Stadium since 2011, I am joyful and smug and superior. And I may or may not have sent a Facebook message to Dr. Chris Reed, board member of Jenison Public Schools, professor of anatomy at Grand Valley State University, proud alumni of Pitt, dear friend of me. 
I didn't. I wanted to so bad. <laughs> right? You see, but here's the thing. Jesus isn't talking about circumstantial joy. He's, he's not longing for a joy that rests upon the circumstances because he's already told these guys, listen, you're going to have trouble. Your circumstances can't be the, the source of your joy. She's praying for joy that is rooted in and rests upon hope. Because he knows, he knows what's going to happen, right? He knows who Peter and Thomas and the rest of the disciples, he knows who they're going to be after they experience the trouble. He just prays. He prays for his disciples he, that they would cherish the gift of the gospel. I have given them your word. And here he doesn't, he's not talking about the rhema, the, the building blocks of language. He's talking about the, the logos, the, the word of God. Now, now, something that's interesting, so for us, right, as evangelicals in this time frame, when people talk about the word of God, we almost always think about what they're talking about the Bible. I'm going to say something, and I've said it before, and and it may shock you, it may unnerve you, and it may cause you to think, well, Dennis doesn't have a high view of the Bible. I really, really do. But what you need to understand is that when John uses the word logos, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about Jesus or the gospel. As a matter of fact, the word of God almost exclusively referred to Jesus or the gospel up until the time of the Reformation, the 1500s. When you read in John's gospel, he makes it very clear from the very beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. (gasps) Right? He's talking about Jesus here. He's talking about the good news, not just simply words on a page. And, And we see this carried out through the New Testament and even through the early church. If you read the early church fathers, they almost never, actually, I think there's one time that I've been able to find in the early church fathers where they use the term word to speak about the Bible. When they refer to the scriptures, they refer to the scriptures or holy writ or the holy Bible. But when they talk about the word, the logos of God, they talk about Jesus or the gospel. So when he says to them, I have given them your word, it's not talking about Jesus, hands them the Bible, right? Like at graduation, hands them the Bible with the name on the front of it. No, he's given them the good news, the good news that's changed everything. I've given them your Word and the world, the world system, the empire, all that that opposes the kingdom of God has hated them. It's because of this. It's, it's because of, of what God has revealed to us. It's, it's because of, of Jesus who the scriptures have pointed to from beginning to end. It's, it's because of the work that he has done to secure the salvation of the world. It's because of all of those things. It says because of the good news, that's why His disciples are hated by both secular and religious. Well, why did did they hate Jesus? Well, I think there were two primary reasons. The first reason was because, well, to be a part of this gospel community, you declared that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, guess who's not? Caesar. And the second thing was this, is that those who were on the inside of the believing community, Jesus' tribe... 
They hated the disciples. Why? Because this gospel that Jesus had given them calls them to live a life of love and service toward people that the religious elite would rather marginalize and demonize than accept and love. Back to Jesus' prayer. For they were not of the world any more than I am of the world his disciples' relationship to the world, the world system, the powers that be mirrored Jesus' relationship with it. They were surrounded by and situated within a part of the empire, but they were not a part of the system. Imagine this. It would be like a rabid Wolverine fan forced to live in the bowels of Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Corey's brother, Bo. You see, where he lives is not where he's from. Where he lives does not demand his number one allegiance. Where he lives is not home. And the same is true for Jesus' disciples. Jesus prays for his disciples. And he prays that they would be hated for the right reasons. <laughs> Jesus, if it's all right with you, I would just rather not be hated. Sorry. The reality is, folks, that not everybody's going to like you. And the reality is, folks, that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be hated, and specifically by two, two groups of people. This is what I found. You're going to be hated by the people who clamor for political power, who want you and want me to assert that someone other than Jesus is Lord. The people that want you to put your political party over your allegiance to Jesus, they will hate you. The people that want you to put your job over Jesus will hate you. But conversely, the, the religious elites, the people that want you to prop up their power, that want you to, to agree with everything that they say, that want you to, to, to work or give so that they can buy some kind of a Lear jet to fly and flit from here to there. Um, yeah, Dick, we're going to talk about the jet here in a little bit, here in a few weeks. Right? Those religious elites that want power, they, they will also hate you because they're after the same thing, Right? That the world is after. It's about power. And it's about authority. But, but Jesus prays for his disciples that they would be hated for the right reasons. My friends, let us purpose to be hated for the right reasons, not because we're jerks. Jesus prays for his disciples and he, he prays that they would be protected but not removed. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world you see, it's not about escapism for Jesus, but that you protect them from the evil one. Quite literally here, Jesus, when he uses this word protect, is asking the Father to stand as a guard between his disciples and the evil one. The thing that Jesus did for us, stood in harm's way for us, is what he's asking the Father to do for 
his disciples. And by extension, friends, I think is one of the things that he asks us to do. The question that the follower of Jesus asked is, what am I willing to die for? It's not, what am I willing to kill for? Jesus prays for his disciples that they would carry Christ's incarnational work into the world. He came. He accommodated. He lived. Fully God. Fully man. Real human. The incarnation changes everything. And my friends, as we incarnate the will and the way and the person of Jesus in our everyday lives, that changes everything as well. See, they're not of the world even as I'm not of it, sanctify them, dedicate them for holy purposes, Jesus prays, by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. You see the disciples, they're, they're carrying on the incarnational work of God in the world. They don't get caught up in the particulars of what's going on. Now, don't, don't get distracted by thinking. And, and this is what happens so often as we say, okay, well, well, we're supposed to be doing what Jesus is doing, right? And so we, we, you know, yesterday we closed the pool, right? And so now the pool has a big safety cover on it. And so it is possible for me to walk across the pool now. But you guys, I'm probably not going to be able to walk on water if there's not a safety cover on top of something. Right? We get caught up in the particulars and we're, we're, we're all excited about, well, you know, we need to raise the dead or we need to feed the 5,000 or we need to do all the stuff. We need to walk on the water. But, but the reality is, is that when Jesus did all of this stuff, when he did all of these things in the incarnation, he wasn't doing them as parlor tricks to prove his divinity so much as he was saying, this is not the way of the kingdom. He is pushing back the fall and showing us the way things ought to be. All of these activities served a bigger purpose. And so the question that I have for all of us as we look at this passage of scripture, as we think about incarnating the person of Jesus, is where is the world broken in your sphere of influence and what are the gifts and the abilities that you have, that I have, to push back the fall in that space? How do we bring the kingdom into the world in which we live? Jesus closes this part of the prayer by saying, for them I sanctified myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays that they would know who that they truly are, that they would find joy in the midst of trouble, that, that they would cherish the gospel, that they would be hated for the right reasons, that, that they would be protected, not removed, that they would carry the incarnational work of Christ in this world forward. As the worship team comes to get our final song, I, I have just a few, few thoughts that, that came to my mind and it goes back to this idea of, of, of the particulars, right? Lord, what is it now? How, how ought we, how ought I to manifest things? And just as I was thinking about this and reflecting on this and praying and listening, it, it seemed as though the Spirit had several questions for me this week that I, that I pass along to you. The question is that, Dennis, how is God going to... How am I going to use you to feed 5,000 if you're not willing 
to surrender your meager resources to me in the first place? How is it going to feed 5,000 if I'm not willing to give him the meager resources that I have in the first place? You see, he doesn't want me to be somebody else. He wants me to be me, and he doesn't demand what I don't have, but he wants all of what I do have. When God called Moses, what was the question? He asked the shepherd, what is in your hand? The second question is, Dennis, how am I going to use you as an agent of change if you're not willing to be hated for the sake of the gospel? I like to be liked. I like people to enjoy me. I like people to smile when they see me coming. I like people to to not say bad things about me on the Facebook, right? I, I, I enjoy all of that. And folks, I'm not saying, because I think that so often, like many times we're, we, Christians writ large, we're hated because we're mean and we're unkind and we're jerks. I'm not saying that. But am I willing to be hated for the sake of the good news? Am I willing to have the political elites look down their nose at me because I'm unwilling to bow the knee and to swear allegiance to Caesar? (laughs) Am I willing to, to lay down status as a religious elite for the sake of loving people well? Am I willing to do as Jesus did, to walk through the places that most good Jews in Jesus' day would walk around for the sake of meeting that one who needs to know the love of the Savior? And how am I going to communicate the good news if I don't know it? And how is it going to be heard if I don't share it? How are people going to encounter Jesus if I, you, if we don't embody the incarnation? If we don't pay attention to the fact that what we do is often often more loudly and clearly communicates who we are and what we believe than what we say. Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be united, that they would walk in lockstep, not perfectly, but persistently in his direction. Father, I thank you for your love and I thank you for today. And I pray, Lord, as you continue to be with us and to meet us in this space, that you would, um, you would speak to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, that we would listen. That we'd be drawn closer to you and 
pointed in your direction. So God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. and stand together.
service I was standing talking to Bruce and I I stood there and I felt a little hand in this hand and I looked out and there was my buddy Griffin just like this looking up grinning we chatted for a minute and then he just stood there folks so often I think that we we have this idea that Jesus loves us when we're good that we have to earn some, some kind of, of, of love and acceptance from him. But the reality is, is, as we just sang, is that God is the one who pursues us. And this morning, just with that little hand in my hand, I was reman- reminded that often that's how Jesus is with me. Is he's there, and sometimes I don't know he's there, but he's there, and he takes my hand, and he is contented to stand with me in that moment just because I'm his, and he loves me. As you go from this place, be reminded that you're loved, that he loves you. And that when troubles come, that joy doesn't have to rest in circumstances, but it can be rooted in hope. Hope. The God who created everything came running to us. That there is resurrection on the other side of trouble. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. going to pray for us and we're going to be dismissed here in just a minute but before we we do I have some instructions for us because there's an opportunity for us to serve and we need all hands on deck for just a few minutes so starting at two o'clock today in this room we're going to be um, having a visitation a memorial service for Julie's mom uh, that that passed away um, last week and two weeks ago, I'm sorry, and uh, they need some tables set up. And so what we're going to do is there are some dividers back here behind this curtain, and we're going to bring those dividers out. Caleb, you know where those are? Can you help somebody? And we're just going to pull those up here, and we'll just set them here. But all of these chairs need to be rearranged. We're going to bring all of the tables, those two round tables, over here, and then we need a group of of folks. Bruce, can you kind of lead the 
All right, so if you'll follow Bruce, we're going to need about 10 eight-foot tables from back in the back, and we're going to bring those in, and uh, we're going to get those things set up um, and uh, situated uh, so that the uh, Matthias and Farnsworth family um, uh, can be greeted by friends this afternoon. Okay, let me pray for us, and um, yeah, then we can jump in. Father, thank you so much for this, for this morning, for these dear friends, for your love, Lord. And we just, right now in this moment, we, we just want to pray a special prayer over the Matthias and the Farnsworth family. Lord, we thank you for so much for Noah and for Julie and for Alethea and what they mean to us here. Father, we, uh, we pray that you would just wrap your loving arms around them and meet them in a special way um, this afternoon as they continue to move forward, Lord, with hope. Lord, sometimes circumstances are big and it's hard to see you in the midst. But we thank you that even when we don't realize you're there, you're there. You're like my buddy Griffith. And you take us by the hand. And that when we don't get answers to why we get your presence. So God, we love you. We pray your blessing over all of those that are here today and those that are attending online. We thank you for sunrise. Jesus' name. Amen. Go in his peace, dear friends.